Hey, Centennial Church, I am so excited uh, to be able to share with you today Jason Bowman. Jason has been the rector of Redemption Church here in Frisco since 2013. Uh, prior to that, Jason served at Christ Church in Plano, uh, and before that at Trinity Christian Academy and Trinity Bible Church uh, in Dallas, or Richardson, actually. Uh, just excited for you to hear from him today from God's Word. So, Jason, come on up here and... Uh, Open God's word with us. We're excited, man. Thank you. Thank you. Would you join me as we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that our hearts and minds would be open to receive from your Holy Spirit, that you might convict and encourage, and ultimately that you would transform us to be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here this morning. I've had a chance to meet with a few people at Centennial, and I'd love to meet anybody else who might like a chance to, to talk and get to know one another better. But it's exciting to be here to share God's Word. And I want to start this morning with this box. This box represents what I would like my life to be able to fit in. And I don't mean my possessions. What I mean is my circumstances and situations, and I'd really like to be able to take each thing and neatly fit it in this box. I'd like to have a great explanation for all of the various things that I go through, from my good to my bad. I'd just like it all to neatly fit in the box. But what I know and what I'm sure all of you know is most of our life doesn't do that. There was a time a number of years ago when my wife and I were sitting with our kids, and the past few weeks at church, we'd been talking about the Ten Commandments. And we asked our kids if there was a commandment that they struggled with. And our daughter said one, and then our four-year-old son said, I got one. I said, what is it, buddy? And he said, it's that one that when you pee, you have to flush the toilet. I don't remember that commandment. That is not one that I remember studying. But my kids have so many ideas, thoughts, things that they want to do that don't fit in my box. Because life, as we know it, it just doesn't fit well. So what do we do when we come upon circumstances or situations, relationships, and we don't have good explanations for them, how do we handle that? If you would, open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to see the Israelites this morning are in a situation where God does not fit in their box. Exodus chapter 32 Beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to read a very small portion of this verse to begin. God doesn't fit in Israel's box. Exodus 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. I'll stop right there. There's a whole lot of background that is going on right now in that very small half of a verse. Moses delayed. They are standing at the bottom of the mountain. They are looking up. And what they are seeing 
is a cloud with fire and lightning and wind. And it makes them want to do something because they're experiencing in this moment God not fitting in their box. So if we back up in the story, the first way God doesn't fit, he doesn't match their theology. You see, they spent all of their lives, outside of a year and about three months, they spent all of their lives in Egypt. And in Egypt, there are lots of gods. There are lots of gods, and the gods can all be seen. They're idols. In fact, one of them is Pharaoh himself. These are all visible entities. And they are entities that you could pick up and you could carry. You could take to one room or another room. You have a certain amount of control over them. And then here comes Yahweh. Yahweh's one God. And Yahweh cannot be seen. In fact, not only can he not be seen, he actually tells them, you cannot make an image of me because nothing in all of creation is like me. They can't see him. They can't force him to move places. The gods in Egypt, they represented different places, like the god of the Nile. And if you needed something dealing with the Nile, you went and you offered certain sacrifices or prayers to try to get from that god that thing. Yahweh has no designation. He's god of the universe. Everything about this god is foreign to them. They don't fit. He doesn't fit in their categories. But he also doesn't match their expectations. They were rescued. They saw all of this power displayed in the plagues. And then God brings them through the Red Sea. But then he brings them to this mountain. And they have been here for 40 days. Moses walked up the mountain. He walks into the cloud and he's gone. And here they are day after day, after day, waiting, and nothing is happening. And that God that is up there, the first time God comes down on the mountain in this cloud, they ask God not to speak to them. They're so afraid. They want Moses to speak to them instead of God. Well, Moses, the one who actually understands, the one who's been leading them this whole time, Moses has disappeared. And when he walks into that cloud of fire and lightning, and 40 days later, he still hasn't come back, it is not surprising that they say, as for that, as for that Moses, um, excuse me, I lost my spot there for a moment. Um, they say, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. None of this fits. None of it makes sense to them because none of it fits their categories. And you know what? We see this multiple times in Scripture. If you think of Job, hey, Job goes through something where he loses his family, he loses his possession, and he loses his health. And all the way through the book, he is crying out to God because he doesn't understand what's happening. Because Job's theology is very simple. If you are good, and God actually talked about how faithful Job was, so we know he was, you are blessed. And if you are bad, you are cursed. That's what his friends are telling him. And Job believes the same thing. The problem is Job knows he's not done these things. God is moving in a way that is bigger than Job's box, 
and it confuses him and it gets him lost. When John the Baptist is in prison, see, he is the one that actually introduced Jesus to the world. He's the forerunner. He's the one that, as Jesus came, God with the Spirit let him know this is the one. And yet in prison, John sends messengers to Jesus to go, are you really the one? Because John's theology doesn't allow for him to be stuck in prison with Jesus not rescuing him and Jesus not calling down fire as John said was going to happen. It blows his categories and he begins to question. He gets confused and lost. This happens multiple times in the scriptures as God does this. He doesn't fit in their box and it leaves them confused and lost and even feeling abandoned. I was sitting at a Starbucks one day and it was a Friday. I was working on a sermon for that weekend. And as I'm sitting there working on this sermon, I notice, because I usually pay attention to people as they're kind of coming and going, I notice a mom walks in with her daughter and her son. The daughter looked to be maybe 12, 13 years old. The son was probably four or five. They sit down together. Mom orders something, eventually brings it back. And then a few minutes later, she gets up and she walks out. And I don't think much of this initially. I'm just kind of sitting there working on my sermon. But I notice after a few minutes, she hasn't come back. And I look out the glass windows and I don't see her. And I think, well, maybe she went around the corner to make a phone call, something. So I get back to what I'm doing. And a few moments later, I look up. She's still not back. And I notice the little boy. He has looked up and he's looking toward the door where his mom went. And I start thinking to myself, am I witnessing something that like, I think I've read about this, but did that mom just drop her kids off and leave? And I see the boy's eyes get big and I feel my own heart start beating as I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I've just witnessed this. Like she's abandoned her kids. And the boy turns back, he whips his head around, he looks at his sister and he goes, where's mom? And that point, I'm thinking, what do, I gotta do something. Maybe I call 911, what do I do? And the sister says, I don't know. I'm like, oh my goodness. But then she continues, I don't know, but dad's sitting right over there. Oh, I think what happened is mom was dropping them off so she could go do something and dad was actually there and but dad was at a different part and but what that boy was feeling in that moment, what I was feeling, that's not supposed to happen. That's not the right thing. And it's that feeling of confusion and being lost and abandoned where it breaks our categories. What do we do when we're standing at the bottom of that mountain? God is silent. God does not seem to be acting in the ways that we think he should be acting. How do we respond? Let's see how they respond. Verse two. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Here's what they do. They go back to what makes sense to them. They go back to what is their categories. They go back to what fits in their box. Remember, they've spent all of their life in Egypt. Idols make sense to them. Idols are the things that are comfortable. They're used to idols. And so what do they do when God is doing something they don't understand that is challenging them and busting their categories? They go back to what they do know and they make an idol. This is a similar thing that you see after the resurrection. What does Peter do? Peter is lost and he's confused. Jesus has not explained the plan. Peter goes fishing because it's what he knows. It's something that can bring some comfort to him. And I would argue it is a way of regaining control. Go get the gold. Let's make this idol. Let's, let's take a situation where I don't know what's happening. I don't know if that man's ever gonna come down. I don't know if that God's gonna strike us down. I don't know what any of this is about. I do understand idols. Let's make some of those because that I have some control over. Peter's the same way. He understands fishing. Let's go out and do something I have some control over. I don't know about you, but when things get too crazy, when I feel too lost and confused, when God's silent, one of my defaults is control. And it may be for you that you revert back to some things like anger, addiction, self-righteousness. Maybe you just withdraw because that was a way that you used to cope. But it is a way of saying, I've got some control and I'm falling into something that is comfortable because what I'm going through right now is anything but comfortable and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. However, when we do that instead of what I believe God wanted them to do, this can happen. We keep reading. Verse five, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, I want you to look specifically at the word Lord. Notice that it's in all caps. This is a very particular Hebrew word. Whenever you see this in an English Bible, it's translating one word, Yahweh. Here's what Aaron says. He says, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So just imagine this. He's holding the calf. He's got this golden calf. And he holds it up. And he says, tomorrow's a feast to Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name. Yahweh is not a generic term. It doesn't mean like just master or Lord. It's his actual name. Okay, this is when Moses said to him, who shall I tell them sent me? Tell them Yahweh sent you. That's my name. When he gives the Ten Commandments, the very first thing he says, I, Yahweh, am your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
It's his name. It's very personal. When my daughter was nine months old, I was standing in the kitchen and she was crawling along the floor. And as she's crawling, she looks up. She's a little ways from me. She looks up, looks right at me, lifts a finger, a little pointed finger, and she goes, Dad, Dad. And I remember my heart melting. Like that was, that was the first time. She called me Dada. That had to be the most beautiful, wonderful thing I could think of hearing. Until she looked over at the fridge. Dada. And to the dog, Dada. Everything was Dada. But you know what? That same little nine-month-old girl is 14 now. And she calls me Dada. But when she says that, she means me. She doesn't mean anybody else. She means me. That's my name for, for her, from her. Yahweh is his name. What is happening in this scene? They have not just returned to idols, but in their minds, they actually aren't turning from Yahweh. They are refashioning Yahweh into something that makes sense to them. They are shaping God into what meets their expectations. There's a book by Donald McCullough called The Trivialization of God, and he writes this. They wanted a God who would stay put, a God who would be useful as they journeyed toward whatever the future held. So they imagined a different deity, and making their imagination concrete, they fashioned a golden calf. Listen to this. They did not think they had abandoned the God who saved them, but they refashioned God to fit their expectations and to service their desires. You see, what is happening in this scene is when things got out of control, they turned back to what they knew, but in doing so, they tried to reshape God to fit their expectations. They wanted God to fit in their box, and they were willing to reshape him to do so. Now, I wonder how often we do that. How often God, in whose image we are made, we begin to fashion him in ours. God begins to look too much like us. He begins to desire the same things we do. He seems to like and have views that are very similar to ours. God begins to fit in our box. There's a huge problem with that. You see, when things are at their worst, we need more. And when we start reshaping God, it's something a little bit like this. Aaron, would you come up for a minute? Aaron's going to play a short piece from Bach, just a small portion of it. And I just want you to listen for a minute. Listen to this piece.
it's a beautiful piece of music. But there's a few issues I kind of have with it. One, I don't think it's happy enough. Can, can you make it happier? That's better. But here's the other issue with this piece. It's, it's complex. Like, there's too much going on. Can you make it simpler? Okay. That's getting better. I, just one more issue. It needs to be more peppy. More, more fast. That's not bad, right? It's now, it, it's happy, it's simple, it's quick. But what has it lost? Listen to it again as it's supposed to be. majestic, incredible, and listen to what Isaiah says. I think all of us, we know this, but just listen to these words. This is Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the thing. Sometimes God is scary. Sometimes God is complex and beautiful and in a minor key, just like that piece. But there is something to that when we take this kind of verse in Isaiah and we recognize God is higher than we will ever be. We are never going to understand all that God is and all that God wants to do. And we actually need that because when we simplify it, we lose the very things that we need to be trusting in. You see, what they chose when it came to a point where they didn't understand, they chose control. They chose to make an idol. They even wanted to call it Yahweh, refashion it. They wanted to take this box song and they just wanted to tear it down into something that was happy, and it was quick. God, just do it how I want it. And yet, in doing that, they lost what they actually needed, which was to trust in all that God is. You see, we have an option. We can try to control when things don't make sense, or we can trust the God who is higher than the heavens. We can have a raw unfiltered, radical trust that does not require God to explain himself, that does not require God to meet our expectations. 
Because when we pull God down to our level, he will not be big enough for the problems we will face. There are wildfires going on right now in California. They hit, they hit every year. In 2017, they hit a place near Napa Valley, and there was an older couple, their grandparents, Carmen and Amando. They were playing a game in their home. And as they were playing this game, they look up out the window, and the fires came so quickly that the house across the street from them was already in inferno. They immediately grabbed what little possessions they could, jumped in their car, and tried to get out of the neighborhood. The problem is trees had already fallen across streets and they were stuck in their neighborhood. So they drove back to the house and they got in the one place they felt like they'd be safe, their pool. For six hours, they were in this pool. And they were at a point where the blazes were everywhere, the smoke was everywhere. They had to hold on to the side and just put themselves under, keep themselves, and occasionally just go up for breath. But here's the terrible tragedy of the story. Two hours before responders would show up to their house, Carmen, his wife, died. He held her for two hours in that pool. Let me tell you what they were doing that entire time. They were praying and asking God to save them. These were Christians. Christians seeking the Lord, and he did not save her. Now you tell me, what theology do you have that would fit in this box that explains that? And I mean explains it in a way where it rests well in your soul. We can give all of our things about evil and fallenness and free will and everything else, but at some point... Our explanations, all of our rationalizations, all of the ways we try to dumb things down, they are not satisfying at all. The only thing we have is to lean in and trust the God who says, my ways are higher than your ways. I love you. And we either trust him or we dumb him down. And when we dumb him down, we lose the very thing we need to get through the hardest moments of our lives. This was my box for a long time until I went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, I discovered that that box wasn't big enough. You see, when I got to seminary, I thought I knew a lot. In fact, I came in thinking I knew exactly what was in the box. I thought I was going to help other people understand God better. And then I got to seminary, and they started asking questions that I didn't even know to ask. They knew things about God I hadn't even thought of. And my box had to get bigger, like to fit now. It's okay, now it's like this size. Well, then after seminary, I started ministry. And when you start doing ministry and you start dealing with people, and you start dealing with all of their issues, and you recognize all the struggles and pain and everything they're going through, my box had to get bigger again because the things weren't fitting. Trying to understand and rationalize and explain all of these things in such a way that they just made sense, it wouldn't work. My box had to keep growing. 
And then something happened in my own life. My daughter, at 10 months old, was diagnosed with stage four metastatic cancer. 10 months old. Why? And when we took her into chemotherapy, we went into a room, this small room with eight chairs around. And every single chair had a kid in it that was dying from either leukemia or cancer. Why? And most of them would not make it out of that room, out of their situation. And at that point, I felt like I needed the biggest possible box I could get because none of this made sense. If God loves the world so much, why is he letting little kids get cancer and die? My little girl survived. Many of them did not. Even a box this big isn't big enough. It cannot contain God. It cannot contain. We can't just take all of our perfect theologies and go, yes, they fit, they answer that, they answer that, they answer that. What we are doing is we're trying to make God fit into something. We gotta change that thinking completely. It is us that needs to fit into God's thinking. It is us that need to learn to trust even when it makes no sense. Even when we have no answers. Even when we're standing at the bottom of that mountain wondering, will I live or die? Will this ever go away? Will he ever come back? Will this person be healed or not? Will I ever get that job back? Will I ever get that part of my life back? Will that friend ever care about me again? There are so many things we may never have an answer for, but we have this answer. We have a God who is higher than the heavens. We have a God that says, trust me, even when it makes no sense, because it is the only thing that we have that will truly get us through all of the things we go through. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in our moments of honesty and pain, in our moments of being lost and confused, those are the times where we have doubts. Those are the times where we question. And those are the times where many of us, we just want to revert back to something that is comfortable, something we can control. And at times that even means you, Father. We want to refashion you to make sense to us, to meet our expectations. Lord, instead, would you help us to destroy our boxes and to lean into you and just to trust you even when it makes no sense. To know that you are our father, that you are higher than anything we will ever know and we can trust you and you alone. In Jesus' name.